And we are back with an episode of Ladies First. Taylor has returned because we're going to be talking about some music history. And she is our resident historian. And we have a special guest, Rebecca. Say hi, Rebecca. Hi. I almost said hi, Rebecca. No, that <laughs> works. It would have been fine. We are, we are not uh, super professional on here, but that's why people do this. <laughs> so happy Pride Month, y'all. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Uh, this is the first of two episodes that we are doing this month. Um, this one is kind of more musically inclined, but later in the month you also want to check out because Taylor and I are going to be talking with Wendy Curry, which is going to be very exciting. There's going to be a lot of historical talk there. Um, that said, we are going to get right into this. Uh, for this episode because there's a lot to cover and again because Taylor is our resident historian I'm going to let her take the lead on this for now because she's the one who made the timeline for me <laughs> thank you Corey division yeah, so of I... labor <laughs> <laughs> hey all that division so for me when I when we were first talking about this I wanted to bring up the history of music and music videos because how it intersects with pop culture history in general, because that then goes into a, the idea of queer coding, queer baiting, and queer representation, and why they are the way they are in our culture. And so music videos kind of go back to 1894 when they had the first illustrated song, which is basically a song set to like pictures on a lantern that moved or something. I could not explain it to you because science... But then the following year, Thomas Edison in 1895 had, like, the first film with music in it, um, though the soundtrack was separate. And so we have this root of music in the 1890s that we don't really see progress much further until the 1920s with the talkies. And that's when we start getting short musical films in the 1920s. And... There was a bit more music history throughout the um, following decades, like very slowly artists starting to incorporate um, film more into the artistry and marketing. Um, the um, I think the music vi term music video is actually coined by the Big Bopper, one of the original um, artists to make rock videos. And then you have like the Beatles in the 1960s, doing their like cinematic work they um i think it was in 1964 when yes let me find my notes sorry about this i do yes, it was in... to say while taylor is looking up her notes um in light of everything else that has gone on i know y'all are going to be listening to this a week after we recorded it but we're recording it on june 5th and i do want to make sure we are explicitly in support of black lives matter and we hope any of you who have been protesting and are still protesting are staying safe agreed wholeheartedly yeah. yes and if not then you don't need to be listening to this episode and we don't want you nope pride was a riot also agreed Black yep. Lives Matter. Just not the pro please, wait, I should don't. clarify. Not the protesters. If you're not down for Black Lives Matter, if you don't agree with that, then we don't yes. want you as a listener. I was like, yes, sorry. I, <laughs> I, I, I did mean. <laughs> I, 
Yes, and I agree with that because some people can't protest for varying reasons and that's okay. You yep. can support in other ways. There are multiple yes. forms of activism and they are all valid. And I found my notes. I had to scroll down because long document. And so, yes, it was in... <laughs> Corey understands this very well. So, in 1965, the Beatles' We Can Work It Out was the first known music video to be um, broadcasted on television. And then in the following years, they got more experimental and cinematic with the music video work. And The Advocate has a great article that outlines all these LGBT-esque music videos throughout the decades. The earliest one they mention is in 1972, when David Bowie ha- does the video for his song, John, I'm Only Dancing, which the lyrics are all bisexual and how they deal with the gender and relationships because Dave- David Bowie's singing to his partner, John, about he's only dancing with this woman who is turning him on. And the video is not explicit in that. It's more people just dancing in a dark room. But there's a queerness to the look of it because David Bowie is androgynous in his appearance in the video. And so that was the earliest queer, coded queer video I could find, which I think says a lot on how poorly researched music videos are in terms of history and in terms of queerness and in queer history. And I'm going to jump in here. This actually really sad because I know Taylor, this is something you've talked about, about how important Uh, you know, music videos are about being an accessible art form to a large amount of people. Like, we talk about, like, everybody raves about operas and everybody raves about, like, the big Broadway shows, but those are only available if you live in certain geographic locations and if you have a set amount of income. Whereas music videos, it's like if you can get on YouTube, you know, you can consume it. Yeah, and that is so important for people who are questioning themselves or want to find themselves. And it's very private. As long as you can get an internet connection, you can protect your history. You can hide it. Or you could go to a library and watch it on a computer there. You don't have to live in, like, New York City to go see something that is explicitly queer. Yeah. And it's very easy for music videos to also go viral in this day and age. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, basically, in terms of queer history, the earliest known music video I could find was a David Bowie one, um, which was released in August 1972, which was a little more than three years after the Stonewall Uprisings. So the 70s were definitely, like, laying the groundwork for the explosion of queer culture we saw in the 80s and 90s, which you are familiar with, Corey, with um, the 90s um, sapphic women's community music scene you're going to go into okay so i do want to preface and this is something that we should acknowledge in pride month we lost almost an entire generation due to the aids crisis yeah and yeah. you know especially like the late 70s the 80s you know through the mid 90s before you know we really started getting effective treatment and starting to stymie that so the 90s as a whole is kind of an odd time because we're coming out of the AIDS crisis and there's a sense of community in there because people who were still alive from that had been campaigning and protesting and rallying and organizing together so where the there these communities were much 
more defined. They'd been together for some time in a way that doesn't exist today. And we had music that was popping up, especially from women loving women. We had like the Indigo Girls. We had Katie Lang. We had Sleater Kinney. We had the Murmurs. I mean, 90s music for like this explosion of lesbian content was kind of a thing. I mean, and yeah, it would be used derisively. Like you could be like, oh, hey, Indigo. Or, you know, that one listens, listens to Indigo Girls. And it was like shorthand code for calling somebody gay. But they were respected within their genre. They were putting out content. And they were playing at well-known festivals. Um, This has uh, made me feel old earlier because I asked Taylor if she knew about Lilith Fair. And she's like, no. So, if it makes you feel better, I know what it is. <laughs> okay, that does make me feel better. But, like, Lilith Fair from 1997 to 1999, it was started by uh, Sarah McLaughlin because she was so tired of music festivals would only take so many women artists. And she got so sick of it. So she's like, I'm going to do my own festival. It's going to be all women. And, you know, one of the big bands she always invited every single year that played on the main stage was the Indigo Girls. And, you know, she was inviting, like, they would get, like, Erica Badu and Missy Elliott, and they'd get just this big, wide, diverse range of women to perform, like Martina McBride, and, you know, 1999, right before she blew up, or as she was blowing up, they had Christina Aguilera performing for them. So, it was, you know, the Dixie Chicks performed in 1999, if I remember correctly, um, So there was a lot of kind of solidarity that had been growing. And within the wider women's music community, there was a growing sense of um, lesbian or bisexual artists that were coming to the fore, that were getting national attention. Um, Especially Katie Lang. This is probably way before your time, but there was... um, I can't remember the magazine, but there was a magazine cover with her being... GQ, sorry, um, with her and Cindy Lauper Crawford. That's just where Cindy uh, Crawford. Crawford. It was her, and she I was took a very. Shot. She was getting a quote unquote shave done, and she was dressed very butch. And you had Cindy Lauper over her, who was doing the shave, and that was like super groundbreaking at the time. That was just like everybody was like, "What?" And the sad thing is, it would be kind of groundbreaking today. Um, so the 90s lesbian, bisexual, just sapphic music scene as a whole really kind of had an explosion. Yeah. And yeah, like that's what I saw in my work with reading about music video history is the 80s and 90s were big time for this stuff, especially the 90s once people Mm -hmm. in early 2000s, once people like were getting past the AIDS crisis. And I also want to mention this, you know because music video history and also because um, African-American history, MTV debuted in 1981, and it's because of MTV that we have... I have to make a really quick correction. correction. Um, It was Uh, Vanity Fair Fair that 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 magazine cover was on, not GQ. Okay. My handy fact checker over here is, like, waving it in front of me, like, you're wrong, you're wrong! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, I only know about that cover because... Philosophy Tube mentioned it in his video on queer theory because he was talking about the lesbian chic culture of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of... 
Oh, go ahead, Rebecca. Most of what I know of, like, Lilla Fair and Sapphic culture from the 90s is from 90s TV show, because I do, like, all my own stuff, and especially you what was then the WB. You. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but I also like the WB and like lesser mm-hmm. known stuff. And they were way more open to stuff like that. The WB pushed more boundaries and stuff and allowed more stuff to come in. Genre television usually does. Yeah. But it's the same thing. Genre music, you know, lets you push boundaries more as well. And I think that's why, especially. Be- it kind of became its own indie slash lesbian bisexual niche. So mm-hmm. the, the type of video, music they were making and if they had music videos, like they were just going for it because they had their own little factory cottage industry that they could do whatever they wanted to at this point. Yep. That's nice. <laughs> the, at least that they could do what they wanted. Uh, not so much that it was small and not expanding mm-hmm. as much. But mm-hmm. we don't, have that like we used to no we really don't because we have some artists who are queer but most of their content isn't as related to that and and there's also i know not that it has to be i'm i'm gonna apologize to taylor because i'm gonna jump ahead of the outline she gave us no Um, that's fine Outlines are meant to be broken. Yeah, well, I'm going to break it. Um, <laughs> w- there seems to be a glass ceiling in the top, you know, like the Billboard Top 40, the Top 40 radio-friendly stuff. There seems to be a glass ceiling that openly queer artists that have, ex- you know, very explicitly queer content really, really, really have a hard time breaking. Mm-hmm. So it turns into, and I'm looping this back to where Taylor was going, it turns into either you stay indie, like you've got Haley Kiyoko, and she directs mm-hmm. her stuff, and it is very openly queer, but she's not cracking the top 40. She's not even cracking the top 100. Now, she's got her own niche, and she's perfectly happy with where she's at, but there's the larger problem of this content seems to have a glass ceiling so what do queer artists do to try to skirt around that see what i did there taylor how i brought it back for you thank you (laughs) yeah so in terms of like halsey for example halsey um in 2016 buzzfeed one of the writers wrote an article basically analyzing halsey's persona her public appearance her outfits her social media and her public relationships and just being like is is halsey you know trying to straighten up her appearance you know and her social life to break into the end you know go further in the industry and halsey like tweeted in response i'm sorry i'm not gay enough for you or something along those lines you know this idea that because she has you know looks androgynous with her short hair but wears long wigs when she performs it's the idea of is the bisexual woman playing the femme to win acceptance from straight society which is a long problem bisexual women who have any kind of feminine appearance deal with is the idea that are they the um double agent femme who can't handle homophobia so they 
closet themselves again. And one of the things the writer mentioned is how none of Halsey's songs, you know, are explicitly queer, queer with the pronoun usage and whatnot. And it's kind of frustrating because the author, the author mentioned Halsey's video New Americana and how Halsey doesn't have a love interest and how all of her love interests in her other videos are men. And I was like reviewing the lyrics to New Americana today and Halsey refers to a gay man in yeah. that song. And also New Americana is as a video it's a political uprising video in the style of the Hunger Games. Like, queer people should be allowed to express themselves and be characters without having to constantly do stuff about their sexuality. It's very dehumanizing to just be, like, a sexuality category. And that's something that comes up in any kind of discussion about queer content and media and how if there's a queer genre and how limiting that is and inaccurate... And how it's an easy way for people to box us in and ignore us by just saying, oh, we don't go to that like part of the music store or the library or video store. Mm-hmm. And so with Halsey, it's, it's, it's like, and Halsey definitely like has more explicit queer content as her albums progress. That's also because she progresses as a person and has more life experiences. I think it's very unfair of an artist to try to analyze in that sort of way an artist's persona and art when they only have one full album out. Because it was in 2016 and Halsey's second album, Helpless Fountain Kingdom, would not debut for another year. And it's the idea of also... I think there's also a distinction we need to make between just because you are queer doesn't mean you have to put out explicitly queer content. Um, you know, that's one part of who you are. There could be many, many other parts of who you are that you, you know, draw inspiration from and you want to express. And, you know, I want to be, I want to be clear that we're not saying if you are a queer artist, you have to just only make explicitly queer content. You know, not even Indigo Girls and Sleater Kinney and all them, they didn't just make explicitly only queer content. You know, the Murmurs, they were Riot Girl. They, you know, do a lot of other songs that wasn't, you know, just all about being queer. Now, you know, Haley Kiyoko, a lot of her music videos are, and that's what she chooses to do, and I, you know, more power to her. But I, I want to address this just because somebody is queer means all of their music videos or that they have an obligation to put that in there. The, what I want to, what we want to get at is the inability to, if they want to yeah. put it in there. Yeah. And, and also, also I, I would want to really one more quick point. It is much easier for gay men to penetrate that mm-hmm. ceiling. I did not mean to make that pun. Um, it is much easier <laughs> to- <laughs> gay men to break that ceiling that it is you know queer men than it is for queer women um you know brendan yuri came out as pansexual in 2018 Mm -hmm. and he's on a roll um but you know as far as queer women go i think there's a much bigger hurdle yeah and i wanted to just say also to 
uh, Taylor saying, you know, it was her first album and she was developing. Also, it was her first album. She may not have had as much power over that as well. And she makes, she may have made more explicitly queer content. And she said, look, I'm actually a viable artist. You have to trust me. Yeah, that's the other, you know, the the longer you're established and the more successful you are, the more control you have. If you're a freshman Mm -hmm. artist, then, and you're especially working in like the mainstream music industry, then the amount of control you have is very limited. I'm glad you bring that up, Rebecca, because um, while I was doing finalizing my research today, I found this great quote from Halsey talking about her song Strangers, which is on her second album. Mm -hmm. Strangers is like the sapphic stream song because it's a breakup song where she duets with Lauren Jogue. I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing her name. But she is Yes. Okay. Yes. And she is a openly queer woman. She identified as bisexual at the time, now identifies as pansexual. And it's a duet breakup song called Strangers, and they use she, her pronouns in the song as they duet, and they even, like, are in a music video together. But instead of it being a music video where they, like, make out naked on a bed, they, like, are in a boxing match. That's a metaphor for fighting in a relationship. But um, when asked about it, Halsey talked about, quote, I think I've never heard a song, and I may be wrong, of two openly LGTB women singing a love story to each other on Top 40 Radio. And so Halsey, once, basically once she had more power, was able to be more truthful and more diverse in her music. And she mentioned that her record label had come to her about this duet and originally suggested Katy Perry. And she's like, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to work with someone who isn't gay. As in, she didn't want to work with someone who wasn't part of the community. Mm-hmm. And I think Katy Perry has actually talked about in the past years about sexual fluidity, but I could understand Halsey at the time not knowing that and wanting to work with someone who was more explicitly and openly queer adjacent or queer mm-hmm. and giving them that platform and opportunity. Well, and Katy Perry also had that um, I Kissed a Girl that was a lot closer to yeah the yeah, so bad blood from people about her "I Kissed a Girl" song. So I, I did don't you do the bad blood that. thing on purpose? Oh, that's right. You two are Taylor Swift stands. No, yeah. I did not do that well, on purpose. Okay, <laughs> but I know you guys were wanting to talk about Taylor Swift and some queer coding. So why don't we use that as a segue to go over to there? Okay. Okay. So I and wanted I totally to mention unintentionally did. <laughs> You're just. Popping puns without even realizing it tonight. Yeah. It's great. But yeah, I wanted to mention the music video Mean, which came out um, in May 2011, because in talking about, like, Taylor Swift's connection to queerness and LGBT culture, it's often ignored by the mainstream and even fans themselves. So the music video is basically, like, a a vignette-style with you know, three different outcasts, essentially, that Taylor Swift, like, relates to as she sings about bullying. And the first one is a clip of a teenage boy in a lavender sweater holding a fashion magazine being bullied by the football team. And then later he grows up and is super successful and achieves his dream of being a fashion designer. And that is very clearly queer-coded as, you know, the effeminate um, gay man. 
I did not realize this at the time because I was in middle school and my f- social world then was so cis heteronormative. Oh my god, like bread and butter, white, straight family. And so I did not realize this at the time. I just thought it was a commentary on gender nonconformity. But basically, she used very, like, if it was, there was very mixed feelings among fans at the time. I actually, like, found a blog post about it and looked back at some tweets from different fans. And, like, some fans were very happy to see, like, positive, supportive representation. Others were not because they're stereotypical. And that's, like, a double edged sword with queer coding when it's done by someone who is very much in the straight side of it. Even though Taylor Swift is never identified as straight, she definitely passes as straight, and at the time was not have any queer association. And so some fans were like, "Yes, thank you for supporting us and helping us feel seen," and others were like, "Eh, this isn't exactly great. This is very stereotypical." And I think it's a very good example of, you know, this was this was in 2011, and. It was a very different world then, and that was in an era, like, because at the beginning of the 2010s, you had a lot of, like, self-love anthems that were very resonant with the queer community. Firework by Cater, Cater Perry? Katy Perry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Raise Your Glass by Pink, Lady Gaga, Born This Way, and she's an openly bisexual woman. Um, I know there are more that I'm forgetting about, but it was very, like, in terms of popular culture, it was very much about self-love and music. Mm-hmm. And this is something I was thinking about while I was researching, but something that never comes up when talking about mean is that she uses the effeminate um, gay man as the, to, to, as the representation. And one of the earliest, actually the earliest known bit of her queer activism was in 2008 when she was in a PSA about homophobia and violence Lawrence King, who was a high school student who was murdered in early 2008 because of homophobia. And he was had been bullied for his effeminate appearance. Um, it might We might be better to say that Lawrence King may have actually been a trans girl and discovering herself. It's impossible to know because he died right as he was starting to take on the name Letitia, I think. But basically she... We'll say she instead of he. Let's yeah, say she. Yeah, she. Yeah, so she died, was murdered, and this may have been Taylor Swift, like, when working on this music video, she may have been pulling back to that PSA and that incident when trying to basically create um, what she understood to be, at the time, to be an authentic representation for a group of marginalized people. And this is also what I did not realize, also, because I did not watch much Glee, and what I watched was much later, but people at the time pointed out the actor in the music video very much resembled Kurt. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and I was like, I read that and I was like, I sh- this, this makes total sense then, because Taylor Swift is very much informed by pop culture and it very much loves the homage and drawing from other pop culture stuff. Like, I the think song- it's an interesting point you raised, though, of, you know, when ostensibly straight singers try to incorporate it's a tightrope that they have to walk yes they try to incorporate um gay themes or i should say queer themes or representation of 
you know, even if it's your best intentions, you have to be talking with people in the community, which Definitely. I know Taylor, Taylor Swift did later. And, but the, you know, we have other songs where it's just artists have tried to do, you know, gay rights matter type of thing. And it comes off as very tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Or, you know, like, I'm kind of patronizing you and I'm going to make a m- music video about why you should have rights and I'm just going to save the gay agenda. You know, at the worst case, you know, at the worst result is it comes across as, like, straight savior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, Taylor Swift and other artists who have tried to do that, why some people are so cautious or wary about those videos now i remember she got some quite a bit more backlash than i've seen other straight artists who do much more pandering videos so you know it's the i'm not going to talk too much on taylor swift in this episode because you know we're trying to keep the focus on queer artists but you know the taylor swift has that successful woman assertive confident not willing to take shit from anybody we're going to stand up for myself and society as a whole is still trying to um catch up to that and wrap their heads around it because internalized misogyny is a thing Mm -hmm. but you know i do want to talk about we, we we do have queer artists who are making waves um you know Taylor Swift did do a collaboration with Brendan Urie that I mentioned. He'd come out as pansexual. And that video is just a rainbow explosion. I'm sorry. I'm just like, this video looks really gay. <laughs> it does. And it, it like, is so campy and I love it. Yes. And it seems to be like intentionally pulling on that even more so because she fought outset in her Miss Americana documentary. She wanted it to be about gay pride. So, and I think which it's better I, because you have, you know, your co-collaborator here on this is an openly queer person themselves. Yes. And I mean, you see like so many symbols in there. Um, there are people like when she storms out of the room after yelling in French that she's calm. Mm-hmm. The hallway is blue, yellow, and the door is pink. And people have pointed out that that's the pan pride colors and stuff like that. And there's a point when Brendan Urie opens up his jacket pocket and you go into the kaleidoscope of hearts and then you get to the stage. And I've also seen posts comparing that to uh, the lesbian pride flag colors there and it is worth noting that the video did debut on lesbian visibility day i mean i i will give taylor swift some credit she is probably the biggest student of symbolism i have seen in modern times so i would not be surprised if there was a lot of intentional queer coding in there you know you want to be careful though that it's not out out queer baiting but yeah. I don't think that's as necessarily a big a problem in the music industry as it is in, like, TV shows. Because you only have, like, four or five minutes, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's only really so much you can screw up as far as queer baiting goes. 
Um, it's more, it's just like, it seems like very patronized queer coding, like straight savior. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do want to talk about a few other openly queer artists. Like we mentioned, especially like there are a lot of women of color that are starting to come up or they've been here and they're starting to get more attention. Like I mentioned Haley Kiyoko. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I know she's an actress as well, but she has directed her music videos. She has made them very, very explicitly queer. Um Another one I wanted to talk about was Angel Hayes, and Angel Hayes is one of the best rappers today who does not give near enough credit. And, you know, she's half black, half Chalagi, and, you know, she taught herself Chalagi. I I absolutely love her. She is super proud of her heritage. But Angel Hayes, I'm going to link two videos um, in our article body. One is A Tribe Called Red, and then the other one, she actually got to do a collaboration with Sia called Battle Cry. And, you know, obviously, parental advisory is suggested, Mm -hmm. so, you know, don't listen to it when there's kids around. But, you know, there's a lot of cultural stuff that Angel Hayes goes into with her songs and with her messaging and... I absolutely adore her as an artist, and I really wish more people would be exposed to her. But we have so many of those queer artists that we just need more people to be exposed to. What I I would love to see Taylor Swift, and I love that she collaborated with Brendan Urie, but I would love to see her, you know, collaborate with a lesser-known queer artist. Agreed. The the onus isn't just on Taylor Swift. We've just been talking about her. That's why I'm using her. But, you know, other straight artists with platforms, I would love to see them collaborating with queer artists and giving them a bigger platform, too. Yeah, I will say, and I know she's pretty well known because we've talked about it. Haley, Taylor has pulled her up on stage and they have sang Curious together as well. Yep, and I learned about King Princess because Taylor Swift mentioned her in an article when talking about her favorite music. Mm-hmm. Um, right, but it can't. The onus can't just be on Taylor Swift. Oh, great! No, yeah, no. yeah right. It has to be the music industry as a whole. We have to lift them up. It's the same thing as white artists needing to help platform. You know, white men need to help platform women. They need to help platform. Other performers of color, they need to, you know, help platform queer artists. It's it's very white male dominated. Yeah, yeah. like um, behind the scenes, especially. Oh de- God, yes. You know, it, like the music industry is Teflon. Everybody I remember was talking about when the Me Too movement hit Hollywood. Like, oh, it's gonna go hit the music industry. It's like, and I'm just over here in the corner, like, no, it won't. Yeah, like, there was a really good article talking about how, I think it was back in 2018, just one of the reasons why people like Kesha couldn't really get, you know, very far in breaking through Let's be through very the... careful, because Dr. Luke is known to be litigious. Um, <laughs> with Kesha's allegations, one of the reasons why her allegations did not go much further in the public eye is Probably because of contracts in the music industry, which are very binding and 
you know, very viciously tight. Um, they are... You could... I mean, it's like sign your life away. There have been young artists that have talked about, you know, I was new, I was coming up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, their parents weren't in business. They just, you know, they'd gone viral or, you know, they'd been discovered and they didn't know any better. And they signed super, super impossible to get out of selling your soul away, basically, contracts with these predatory music labels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, I think that's- one of the reasons we didn't see that as much, especially with like, you know, like Taylor Swift, and she did sign to bigger labels, but, you know, she had parents who were knowledgeable. She was privileged enough to have parents that got her a better contract. And not everybody has parents that can do that. Yeah, like, I was thinking, reading, just rereading Halsey's origin story and thinking about, because with Halsey, she was on Tumblr a lot as a teen and built a very strong following who supported her, like, covers and stuff. And so when she uploaded her song Ghosts on SoundCloud, she knew enough about social media and connections that she went viral and was able to get onto charts without a record label as an independent artists with a SoundCloud account. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, SoundCloud account. And I believe that's one of the reasons why she's had so much freedom because she got to choose her label because she had people showing up at her door wanting to sign her. And she had the social media power that gave her a certain amount of protection. Um, yeah, there's a really... she didn't have that much protection. And she had to well, look up. Yeah. And, I mean, you can hear that clearly in her song castle oh yeah there's a there's an old man sitting on a throne that's saying i probably shouldn't be so mean yep and i think song holding me down is also about that you know like really having to speak up and stand up for herself against these men in the industry but again it's the same you know the people who are in charge of the industry especially the people who are in charge of the radios the people who are in charge of everything they, again, make it very, very hard for openly queer artists, even if you're yeah, not doing not explicitly queer content, to try and break right. through. Um, you know, And especially, again, for queer women, and doubly over for queer women of color, and then triply over for trans women of color. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah it's, it's no true. coincidence that the trans female musician everyone talks about is a white one kim petras and she is working with again dr luke is known to be litigious so i'm going to keep my mouth shut but you know what i was going to say yeah and by working with dr luke it gives her a certain amount of power in the industry because he's a very powerful figure who has a lot of connections but then she goes and says you know like she doesn't believe the allegations about him so i it's it's it a messy. It is super messy, and it is just so many shades of not a good look that I try not to actively bring up Kim Petras because the conversation around her, because of her association with that man, makes it just, you can't just look at the music. It's everything else around it makes it impossible to have a simple discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, there are, yeah. uh, th- th- this isn't even getting to other genres where it's not known to be as queer friendly, and there are 
strides being made. I know Taylor had found an article about how country music had been having queer roots for a while. Um, but country music now is currently, you know, there's a strong MAGA element to it, so you can only go so far. Casey Musgraves singing that entire straight as an arrow or not song was a big shot across the bow at that time. Um, you know, Lil Nas has been an absolute pioneer. Um, you know, over in the Latin music. Yeah, industry, like it, it, it's everywhere. it's funny you bring up Lil Nas because I saw a tweet once showing a picture of him next to a picture of Billie Eilish, and someone was just like, "Why do all the singers today look like?" Bond villains, and someone replied, "That's because all villains were queer coded." Yeah, yeah, and it's well, something we're really seeing with Gen Z is this really like playing with gender, playing with sexuality, playing with gender presentation, and the blend of it all, like a lot of campiness that is very serious in style and stuff. And it's interesting. It's important also you mentioned trans singers because Angel Hayes is a gender. Yeah, and I was reading yeah. a great... And I used um, she pronouns because she said those are okay. Um, you know, I, I made sure I did my research before, but Angel mm-hmm. Hayes identifies as a gender. Um, you know, the, the, the amount of non-binary singers we have as well. Um, There's Sam Smith. Ex- yeah, yeah. I was about to say Sam Smith. I was like something Smith. I'm blanking on the first name. I, I was. I think I was going to try and say Stephen, <laughs> but it was like you got like Angel, <laughs> you got Sam Smith, you've got, you know, there's all these art artists on the gender and the sexuality spectrum that either they don't come out until they've made it big when they're safe, or they either have to stay closeted to try and make it or they just are like well i'm gonna write about what i want to bite and i guess i'm not gonna get a top 100 yeah and like you can as an artist be out and very clear about that in the community and the world at large was still closet you kesha was open about being queer in 2010 and in uh-huh. a few months ago Freddie even Mercury. yeah yeah Freddie mercury Literally a Billboard article said Kesha was an ally to the community a few months ago when she did an event to raise money or something for pandem- the pandemic. And it's like, Billboard, do you not do your research? It's, we just we have a ways to go to get better. Um, and again, I think it's sad that we don't necessarily have the community structure that existed in the 90s. And I'm going to sound old and I'm not trying to sound bitter. Part of that is because of the internet. And this is something that, you know, I'm looking forward to talking to Wendy Curry about because she was an activist way before the internet became a thing. You know, I I grew up in the 90s and I graduated high school 2002. But she was doing this for longer than I've been doing it. So, you know, especially with having Taylor there, we've got three different generations of seeing how our physical communities have either evolved or devolved and I think it ties back into the music scene as well because we don't have the physical spaces we used to have 
to like congregate and share and I know people are going to come at me and be like oh well we have like Tumblr and Twitter and Reddit and all of our internet communities and I'm like it's not okay. the same feel though it's not it's the not same the, like me and Taylor have actively had a conversation like we wish we had more like queer cafes and stuff where you could just go in and sit down and know that you were surrounded by people who like you or who are like you or a strong ally at that point. Yeah, but, it's like if we had the la- more labels again. In the 90s, there were more labels around and they eventually went under or shuttered. We don't have that infrastructure either. And again, a lot of it is partially capitalism, yeah. partially internet, and partially is like we don't know I think our history enough to know of like even just in the 90s the ways we were able to mobilize I mean I'm going to be honest I'm still doing my research and trying to learn more because I've just been out for a little over a year now so I'm learning like and yeah I agree the problem is that we don't know our history as well as we should there's a lack there's of a knowing buzz- history there's a lack of physical space there's an overabundance of internet space that doesn't encourage more exploration and more know your history and more critical thought. Mm-hmm. Taylor, you were going to say? Oh, it's just that there's a BuzzFeed video about like things queer women Google, and one of them was like, how to find queer lady friends. Oh, and I was God. like, oh, called out. Because it's like, just want to hang with people who get you. And like mm-hmm. get a, co- a cup of coffee together. But Listen to music together. Like, if you could go to, like, if you go to a lesbian bookstore, you can find friends there. And you, because you know what kind of clientele there is. But you don't have that security if you go to the local Barnes & Noble. Well, and there's hardly any lesbian oh, bookstores left. Again, capitalism. And then yeah. you've got the issue of, you know, um, the fundamentals has... at different points been either associated with TGI Femslash or Clexicon and one of the things we always notice is like this is the only time of the year I get to be around people who are like me mm-hmm. and I'm like this is really sad because if we would just put some effort into it I bet we could grow local communities where it's easier to find each other instead of you have to fly to like Long Beach or you have to fly to Las Vegas once a year just to be around more than one person who's like you but we've I lost mean, that physical sense of community yeah I I would love that like especially like you all were both saying like the bookshops yeah or, you know, or, or music rem- stores used to be great for that but you know we've gone to digital and streaming and you know Amoeba yeah. here in LA is moving because they couldn't afford rent it, the music stores don't exist anymore and that used to be a huge place to go you know especially if they had queer music to you know go and meet other people and it's just the lack of physical space I firmly believe is still a hindrance for us being able to grow further than where we are. You can only do so much online. You know, in the music industry, 
how they make their money right now. A lot of it is via concerts. Well, you got to go to a concert. You can't, you know, nobody likes a virtual concert. I mean, you can enjoy it, but it's not the same as going to an actual concert. Yeah, it's Why a very different feel. Why do Taylor Swift concerts? Why do people rush to BTS concerts? Why do people rush, you know, if Beyonce has a concert, why do they, uh, why do they go to that? Because you're there and you're actively experiencing that sense of community. Yeah. There's something about feeling the presence and the energy of the people around you that makes a difference. So why can... can't, you know, why can't we have, uh, I know Lilith Fair came back in 2010 for one year only, but why can't we have more of those music festivals, especially that are very women and queer friendly? We don't have the organization in place anymore to set them up. It's true, and you should say it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, um, what a Halsey music video that stuck out to me was her video for Bad at Love because it has explicitly queer lyrics where she sings about ex boyfriend and girlfriends. But the video is more of a feminist action flick because she meets these women a group of women who help escape from the cops. And I argue that video could be seen as queer because it is women as a group, as a community, who intentionally protect one another from men and have their own community outside the dominant male-run community because the women take it to this, like, tent house in the desert where they have kids. So they're the infamous gal pals, is what you're saying. Then, Then I wouldn't... It's hard to say if they're gal palsy because it's a group of three women. Yeah, I, I but, know. But... but, like, two of them definitely, like, I could see having romantic vibes because one of them reaches out and grabs the other's face lovingly when they escape from the cops. And I'm like, that, that's not platonic. But it's the idea of in Western culture in recent centuries, if a bunch of women hung out together and were good friends, they are probably a secret lesbian cabal that are plotting to take down men. <laughs> And, like, I mean, would that be so wrong? I'm not advocating for, like, radical separatism at all. I'm just mentioning that feminism and queerness often intersect because um, they both deal with, you know, gender roles and gender constructions, but also because, you know, you have a bunch of women together, some of them might realize they're queer and date each other and whatnot, and it's a space very Little friendly fair. to sapphics. over again. You can go and like, oh, she's hot. Wait, why did I think she's hot? Oh. But you're, gonna, oh. you're not going to know until you're around more women. Yeah. Anyways, we're going to wrap this up. Um, we will be continuing part of this discussion uh, when we are talking to Wendy Curry. Um, you know, the generational differences and, you know, what we'd like to do about building more physical space. And I know she's got some thoughts on that. But this conversation will be continued with her and uh, expounded upon in the second episode this month. Um, Again, if you are still protesting, I I don't know what's going to happen from a week from now. And going how 2020 has been, I don't want to speculate because as far as i know we could literally have zombies by next week so please be taking care of yourselves be careful you know support black lives matter in any way that you're capable of supporting it um 
And also, you know, if, if we missed an artist that you're like, why didn't you talk about them? Leave us a comment. Maybe we'll come back and talk about them. If you want to agree with me that Angel Hayes is, you know, the best thing ever, then tell me because, you know, I want a fangirl with you. <laughs> Can I say thank you? Because I actually learned about her from you from oh. doing this podcast. And I instantly was like, she's she, amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. 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 Fandom Metals is going to be starting our own little Angel Hayes fan group here. <clears throat> <laughs> I mean, I would say Taylor Swift, but you two were already there, so. Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. You know, we also, you know, Haley Kiyoko, if you like Haley Kiyoko, drop us a line. Obviously, we have some thoughts about her that are pretty positive. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't forget to check out our other podcasts. We have That's Haram that I co-host with Sahar, and we talk about Muslim representation in media and... Legends of Tomorrow ended, so this month we're going to be talking about Zari 1.0 and Zari 2.0. So be sure to check in for that. Um, We also have Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. We have our very own, in conjunction with Forge Academy, a live play of RPG uh, Dungeons & Dragons that is every Friday. So be sure to check them out. We also have Unabashed Book Snobbery. And I'm sure we have some other stuff, but I just blanked on it. Way to go, Corey. You're a managing editor for this site, and you can't remember the other podcast. The Fundamentalists, I remember them. And then uh, at some point, we're going to have the fandom meeples up and running. There we go. I got them. I saved my job. <laughs> so, anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. Stay safe out there, because this is just a year. Um, happy Pride. Make sure... You know, happy Pride, because it is still Pride Month. Uh, Probably don't go out and do parades, because COVID is also still a thing that's happening, and it's not safe. But if you are protesting, make sure you're wearing a mask and bring lots of hand sanitizer and try to social distance as much as possible. Do either of you two have anything? I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. I just didn't want to catch you off. You were on a good roll, and I agree. I'm going to be horrible. I would say... Pride is political. Stay safe. Yeah, stay safe. Black Lives Matter. Thank you guys for watching. We'll be with you next time.